Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on Grace Church, visit us at gracemc.org. Hey, my name is Ryan. I uh, get to work with the students here, uh, 7th through 12th grade, and it's a blast as well. Last week, I was at Winter Blast with our 7th and 8th grade students. Uh, I think uh, you saw a picture of us there, and I just want to say thank you for praying for us. It was an awesome weekend. If you know of a middle schooler that went, ask them to do the verse actions, all right, and make them do it, all right? So uh, make sure they do those memory verse actions. We are in our series through the book of Matthew. Uh, We're looking at this life of promise, right? Not only is Jesus the promised one, but he also lived this life of promise. And in the book of Matthew, we see kind of four main categories of promises, We see prophecies, which are God predicting events that he will cause to happen or one day will cause to happen. We see healing, uh, God speaking words of uh, emotional and physical and relational restoration uh, into people's lives. We see God's unchanging character, right? We see God expressing himself and never expressing himself contrary to that character. And then we see living with eternity in mind. Right, God gives us enduring truth and wisdom uh, and instruction to guide us here on earth because what we do here on earth echoes for eternity. If you are a Christian, uh, it's not just this ticket for eternal life later down the road, but your eternity starts now. And so what you do here and now matters on earth. In Matthew, we, we see and we learn about Jesus in, his, in the life of promise, right? He fulfills all those. He, he fulfills prophecies. He heals others. He expresses God's character, and he manifests eternal life in us. And in the first week, uh, Jeff talked about how when we see more clearly how God sees, we're going to do more courageously as God does. And we're going to see that in our passage today. So if you have a Bible or one on your phone, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. If you're finding yourself in books that are rhyming, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, just keep going. It's uh, one, one, more book, one more book after that, and uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 4 today. Let me pray to, to begin. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for, uh, yeah, just the local church, all these people here. I'm thankful for uh, a chance to gather and, and to worship you. God, go before us this morning, teach us, and... Uh, yeah, give us grace. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I played the, the drums in, in school from elementary school all the way to my first year of college. And there's a cost to playing drums, not only financial costs, sorry, mom and dad, but there's other costs as well. I think about playing in the drum line in, in high school. I think about practicing on the hot, in the middle of July, on the hot black track, the sun beating down on me, uh, wearing the drums, right, for four hours. And uh, then we had to go in March, things like that. I think about playing in pep band at the, uh, the basketball games. And uh, every Tuesday and Friday, we had to bring our own drum sets to the school. So every Tuesday and Friday, we would load our drum sets. So you have the cost of the drums and the cymbals, which the cymbals cost more than the drums, surprise, and the, the cases that you have to put the drums in. And so every Tuesday and Friday, we're lugging our drums to the school and setting them up and playing for the basketball games. Uh, and I, uh, one time we got to play at the, the Iowa State Stadium, Hilton, uh, in high school. And so me and my best friend, we were both drummers. We're just lugging our drum sets around Hilton, trying to figure out where to go. Uh, we're trying to go to the court. And I'll give you a hint. There's one thing in the building. It's the court. 
and uh, we can't find out where to go. And so we're just, just trying to figure out. We're, we're carrying these drum sets, and uh, eventually we found our way. But I think the cost of playing drums is worth it because of the experiences that I had. I got to play at Hilton alongside my best friend for so many years. Uh, I got, uh, usually had fun playing drums. Uh, so the cost was worth it. There was one time when the cost was not worth it. And so I was in, in drumline at UNI, and uh, our instructor said we were going to play for a race, a 5K. So the runners are going to run by us. We're going to play and cheer them on. And so uh, he told us we were going to get paid for it. And so he said, be at the school at 5.30 in the morning. And so we show up at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, we load all the drums into the vans. We drive out, and we play for the 5K running by. And then we load up the drums again, drive back to school, and it's a Saturday. So then we had to play the football game. And so we play pregame. We play uh, halftime. We play in the stands. We play after halftime, things like that. But we're getting paid for, for the race, remember that. And so uh, this is in my mind the whole time. I'm getting paid for this. And uh, so the next Monday rolls around, and our drumline instructor had gotten paid a lump sum, and then he was going to divvy it out to all of us in the drumline. And so he's handing out envelopes to everyone in the drumline uh, with our money in it. I open the envelope. We got $3. $3 for playing in that stupid race. And uh, yeah. So that was a time when the cost wasn't worth it, right? And so th the truth is, there's a cost to discipleship, to following Jesus, but it's worth it because Jesus always fulfills his promises, and that's what we're going to see today. So hopefully I've given you enough time to make it to Matthew 4. I'm going to start in, in chap or, yeah, chapter 4, verse 12. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light, and for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. Now, Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria, so they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan." Now, there's a, a wide range of ages in here. Who's the oldest? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there's a wide range of ages in here, uh, but I also think there's a wide range of spiritual ages in here. Maybe some of us are, are young uh, in the faith, or some of us are, are old saints, right? Uh, some of us maybe are here just checking things out. Uh, and so I have a challenge for all of us, no matter what category you find yourself in. 
And I want you to, this morning and all the time, approach reading Scripture as if you're a tourist from a small town in a big city for the first time, right? You, you've seen tourists, right, in, in maybe like New York, thinking of New York. Uh, they're like looking up at all the buildings. They're like, wow, look at this, right? They're asking questions. They're digging in. So that's how I want us to approach reading Scripture, like a tourist, like looking up all around, wondering about all sorts of things. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So there, there's three sections in this passage that I read, uh, and, and in each section, we find a promise in each. And an overarching promise uh, in all three is the, the promise of the kingdom of heaven. And so there's a promise in each section. In the first section, uh, verse 12 through 17, we see the promise of the Messiah, or, or this prophecy, right, from, from Isaiah. So John chapter 3 and 4 describe Jesus's ministry as this baptizing ministry. He's going around baptizing. Uh, and after the arrest of John, he, he moves to Galilee, uh, and he begins his itinerant ministry there uh, of teaching in that region. So in this way, Jesus is kind of picking up where John had left off. John had been arrested and, in essence, silenced, and so Jesus was picking up where John had left off. And, and Jesus obviously would go farther than John ever would. John was pointing to the Messiah, and Jesus was that Messiah. And so if we're reading the Bible like a tourist, right, we're, we're asking questions, we're looking around, uh, we read that after John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Why did he go to Galilee? And so if you keep reading in verses 14 and 15, we have our answer, right? It says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And so Jesus was in Galilee to fulfill scripture. It's from Isaiah chapter 9, if you want to look at that. But the Bible says that the Messiah would minister in Galilee. And so that's where he would inaugurate the kingdom. We all know the song, Jesus is in Galilee, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? Maybe that's not it. I don't know. Uh, but this is actually the fifth time in the book of Matthew that uh, it says this happened so that this might be fulfilled, right? We're only in chapter four, and it's the fifth time that, that Matthew talks about that. And so Matthew sees Jesus's ministry as a fulfillment of prophecy, because it is. And so verse 16, it says that the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And so light has come into a region that is largely populated by Gentiles. Isaiah calls it uh, Galilee of the Gentiles, right? And it's probably more true in Jesus's day than it was in Isaiah's day to say that. New Testament scholar R.T. France says that Galilee, so often the underdog, both in political fortunes and in the eyes of official Jewish religion, was in fact destined to play a crucial role in the unfolding of God's plan of salvation. How many times do we see that, like outsiders being brought into the plan of, of salvation? Uh, just a couple weeks ago in Sunday school with the 7th and 8th graders, we went through this series called Unlikely Heroes, where, where we talked about people that, that from the outside seem unlikely, like Rahab, uh, Gideon, Moses, people like that, but God used in his plan of salvation. And here we see that with Galilee as well. And so Jesus enters the darkness of Galilee as the light. Matthew Henry says that those who are without Christ are in the dark, sitting in that position, a contended posture. They chose it rather than light. But, he says this, when the gospel comes in, light comes in. 
When it comes to any place, when it comes to any soul, it makes day there. So Jesus begins to, to preach the gospel, and it's the same one that John had been preaching. It's repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near, as we see in verse 17. Repentance is just turning from your sin and also turning towards God. There's that both, both parts of it. And, and you see uh, kingdom of heaven all throughout Matthew. Other places, maybe you'll see kingdom of God. It's the same thing. So Jews had a, a practice of uh, referring to God as the, the place where he dwelled, which is heaven, instead of referring to his name. And so Matthew is a Jew, and he's writing to Jews. So he uses this. He says kingdom of heaven. Uh, it's the same thing as the, the kingdom of God. And so Jesus announces the reality of God's king reigning on earth now. And the thing that should naturally follow that reality is repentance. And we see that in verse 17. So Jesus is here in Galilee to bring light to darkness, to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy, and he's here to fish for followers. And we see that in, in our next section, verses 18 through 22, which is the promise of discipleship, the promise of discipleship. So Jesus is walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, and he, he sees, uh, he, he calls his first set of disciples, two sets of brothers, Simon and Andrew and James and John. Now, it was customary for rabbis to have uh, uh, followers, and so this is not weird. Uh, I think in a modern lens, we, we read this and, and think some guy is walking up to these random people uh, and telling them to stop working and just follow me. And so it's not weird. Uh, but another thing that these brothers had been around Jesus for, for close to a year at this point. So Jesus had been in Galilee for about six to nine months at this point. So they knew who Jesus was. He wasn't just this random guy calling them to follow him. Uh, the part that is different, though, is that Jesus is the one calling the disciples. Normally, it was the other way around. And so uh, people would, would go up to rabbis and ask if they could follow uh, them. But it was the other way around. Now, is it expected to have a good teacher to have followers? And so Jesus' call for them to follow him was putting Jesus in this place of a king, right? Him asking for followers or calling followers is putting him in a place of a king. And I think it's this beautiful picture of the gospel, of Jesus reaching to us first, of Jesus coming to us first and loving us first, right, rather than us, you know, coming to Jesus first. And while we were still sinners, as Romans says, he does this. So Jesus calls the disciples, and what do we notice? If you're astute, you'll see there's the same word in both. It says immediately, right? Now, they immediately followed Jesus. And I don't want you to get this wrong. It's not like this blind obedience. Remember, they had known Jesus. Um, uh, I was talking through this, uh, this passage with a, a pastor friend of mine who is going through the book of Mark at his church. Uh, and this whole passage is about two verses in Mark. Mark moves really quickly. Uh, and so Jesus is in Galilee in one verse, and in the next verse, he's calling his disciples. But the reality is there's like nine months in between those two verses. And so I think that's why we can get this idea of this blind obedience. Like immediately they, they left. But uh, what we do notice is that the disciples did leave some things behind, right? Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they all left their family business behind of fishing. 
And uh, if you notice, they both had boats, so that already put them in middle to upper class, all right? So they're not leaving behind this, this crummy job, right? They're leaving behind a good job. Uh, and also in, later in Mark, it talks about how the Zebedees had hired workers. So again, they're not poor. And so we, we get this picture of them leaving behind essentially their whole life to, to follow Jesus, when Christ calls us to repentance, as he does in, in verse 17, it's going to disrupt our, our ordinary life. It, it should. Like, it, it's going to look different. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, says that staying in the old situation and following Christ mutually exclude each other. Uh, the Bible also basically says that in Second Corinthians, uh, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And so the, the calling of the disciples is this great example to us to, to leave behind everything, to give up everything to follow Jesus. And the truth is we're going to have to give up some things to follow Jesus. Uh, likely you're not going to have to give up your job like the disciples, uh, but maybe you'll have to give up your idea of your ideal life or your ideal career, right? Or maybe you have to give up this idea that you deserve a comfortable life. Uh, maybe it's for you, it's desiring popularity or, or desiring approval from classmates or bosses, right? Uh, maybe it's certain sins that, that you have to give up to follow Jesus. Whatever it is that you're thinking of right now that you hope that I don't use as, as an example, right? That's what we have to give up. Now, there's a, a word that uh, for when we put like that list of things as a higher priority than, than following Jesus, and it's idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of something as though it was God. And frankly, when we're not willing to give up that list of things, we're worshiping that list of things, not Jesus. And so we're putting those things ahead of our relationship with God. Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit God, says that an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living? Do you have anything in your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living? That's an idol. That's an idol. And we have to give up those things to follow Jesus. There's a cost to discipleship. And, and Jesus didn't, didn't call them to follow the, him on the occasional Sunday or when we feel like uh, coming to church, or when we wake up in time to come to church, uh, but he calls them to follow uh, them with their lives, right? And what does Jesus promise here? What is the promise of discipleship? That they would fish for men, right? That's the promise of discipleship. Not that everything's going to be peachy keen, right? But that they would fish for men. Again, in, in the cost of discipleship, uh, Bonhoeffer says, if we answer the call to discipleship, where will it lead us? What decisions and partings will it demand? To answer this question, we shall have to go to him, for only he knows the answer. Only Jesus Christ, who bids us follow him, knows the journey's end. But we do know that it will be a road of boundless mercy. Discipleship means joy. There's a cost to discipleship, but it's worth it because Jesus always fulfills his promises. And Jesus calls his disciples not just to listen and to learn, but to take an active part in fishing for men. 
So don't, don't just come to church. Play an active part in what we have going on to fish for men, right? And the third promise is the promise of healing. And we see that in, in verses 23 through 25. So Jesus begins to preach the good news and the announcement of the kingdom of heaven, and, and he's healing people, proving uh, that he is the Messiah, right? Proving, uh, backing up his teaching when he's healing people. And we see three illnesses described that, that Jesus heals. We see the paralyzed, which is the worst of the body. We see the epileptic, or literally the lunatic, it says, uh, and that's, that's the worst of the mind. Uh, and then the demon-possessed, which is the worst of both the mind and the body. And Jesus heals all three. And so the kingdom of heaven is here now. And so Jesus is preaching and teaching, and he's backing up what he's saying uh, and news spread about this guy doing this, uh, and there's no modern medicine, so a bunch of people being healed, crowds are going <laughs> to form around him. And so he's teaching the crowds. He's not just uh, impressing them with his miracles and his healings, but he's teaching them. That's his main uh, thing that he does while he's on earth is teach. And so where, again, we're, we're looking at this passage as a, a tourist, right? And so what's with all these, these place names in here? Like all the crowds are from all these places. We actually, in the whole passage, there's 11 places named. And so what's with all the place names? We get Galilee in the, in the northwest. We get the Decapolis in the northeast, Jerusalem and Judea in the southwest, and beyond the Jordan in the southeast. And so it's this picture of Jesus as the new Joshua, reconquering the promised land. And he's, he's ushering in a new and better kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. And he's drawing people from the north and the south and the east and the west. Now, Jesus doesn't promise to heal all of our sicknesses or diseases this side of heaven. But what he does promise is that he will heal the sickness, right? Sin and death. And in Romans chapter 7, Paul says, Who is going to rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus. Thanks be to God through Jesus, our Lord. And so we, we have those three sections, right? The, the three sections and the three promises. We get the promise of the prophecy of the Messiah. We, we have the promise of discipleship. And we have the promise of healing. Now, there's a cost to discipleship, but it's worth it. Why? Because Jesus is who he says he is, and he came to do what he said he was going to do. And so Jesus fulfills the prophecy from Isaiah. He calls us to repentance, and he proves that he deserves following by healing all sorts of diseases and sicknesses. So what? How does this change my Monday? Right? And so maybe you hear all this, and you hear me saying uh, all this, these things, and you think, one, I can't believe that. You know, I can't believe all that. Maybe two, you say, I can't give up fill in the blank to follow Jesus. Or three, maybe you're saying, I do believe, but help my unbelief, as someone in, in Mark says to Jesus. And so Douglas O'Donnell in, in his um, commentary on Matthew gives us three reasons why the four fishermen believed. And he says that these three reasons uh, why they believed will help us believe as well. So first, they believed because of the truth of the message. They saw what, what Jesus ha- had been saying, and it made sense to them, right? It made the best sense of the predictions of Scripture in Isaiah. There was something about Jesus that was believable uh, for them. The second thing is the value of the mission. 
They got a promotion, right? They, they went from fishing for salmon to fishing for souls, right? And so they got a promotion. Jesus' call to salvation is much more than our own personal salvation, but it's a, a call to the salvation of all those around us. It's like casting a net to the four corners of the earth, right? It's exhilarating fishing for people. It's life-giving. And so the kingdom of God is like a treasure in a field that when we stumble on it, we sell everything to just to get it. And so the value of the mission is another reason why they believed. And the third thing is the reality of the miracles. They looked at what Jesus was doing and the only explanation to them was that this was the Son of God. And so message, mission, and miracles, those are why they believed. And I want to challenge us to hold those three things up as a lens or as a mirror uh, in our own lives and ask ourselves, why do we believe? Or why don't we believe? Right? And so hold those three things up and ask yourself that. Have you considered the cost of discipleship, of following Jesus. There's a book uh, by Sanders, J. Oswald Sanders, and, and he talks about discipleship is much more than just uh, you know learning the things, but it's also about our lifestyle, right? It's about our living. It's it's that as well. And so I have five questions for us that I, that I want you guys to take with and ask yourself. So first, is Jesus Lord? Is Jesus Lord? And second, if so, is he Lord over every aspect of your life? At Winter Blast last weekend, we talked through the middle schoolers about this, like this pie, the slice of pie, uh, which is our life, right? And the first one was there's a slice for Jesus, right? That's not how we want it, right? We want Jesus as Lord over every aspect of our life, every slice of pie. Third, do you regularly practice repentance? The key word there is regularly, right? Do you regularly practice repentance? It's not just a one-time thing. And fourth, who or what is first in your life? Maybe it's the fish, maybe it's the nets, the boat, uh, the, the career, the income, maybe it's your family. Who or what is first in your life? And last, are you willing to break from any or all former loyalties to wholeheartedly serve one master? to go where he wants you to go, and to, to serve where he wants you to serve. The, the greatest promise that Jesus ever fulfilled is not that he would just die for us, but that three days later, he would raise from the dead, defeating sin, death, and the grave. That's the greatest promise that Jesus ever fulfilled. And it's the promise of eternal life with him. And like I said earlier, if you're a Christian, your eternity starts now. It shapes the way you live your life right now. It's not just this ticket for later. So don't just play church. Don't just come to church, but take an active part in fishing for men because there's a cost to discipleship, but it's worth it because Jesus always fulfills his promises. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church, God. Um, all these believers, um, yeah, coming together, learning about you, worshiping you. Uh, God, help us to, to look at our own lives and, and look at the, the lives of the disciples as a, an example and, and maybe a mirror for our own lives to, to follow you. God, help us to give up those things, those idols in our lives to follow you. God, show us uh, and teach us how to follow you better. 
And in all that we do, help us to glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen.